Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. So here's the thing. You know, I've been thinking about this since I was in the States recently, and I was talking to a friend of mine about how people become activists and how many different pathways there are to becoming an activist in the States. And when I say that, like what I mean is there are all sorts of different training programs and so on. Um, like really intensely established institutions in the United States that kids can get involved in from the time they're teenagers to, you know, as a young adult or even as an adult, what have you, to be trained in the different skills that one needs to challenge the system as it currently exists. And I was thinking, we don't really have that in, well, at least in English Canada. And we kind of did through the Canadian Federation of Students Mm -hmm. in that, and I like, it really boggles my mind how often I realize that people who, you know, have critiques about the student movement or the CFS or, you know, which Nora and I both worked at at some time, like don't understand that that was the major value of the organization. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like that was, I mean, there's so many, there's other values, but one of the most important things was its ability to train people on issues, on skills, and then send them back out into the world such that if you are around today uh, and involved in any type of activism or unionism or whatever, you can, you can like look around and just be like, here are all the people who are involved in a student's union, in the student movement, in some sort of training for that the CFS provided, whether or not they uh, hated the Federation after that or not. That was the value of the organization. And certainly the established political operatives in like, you know, partisan politics definitely knew that and forever and ever and ever tried to destroy it. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really important Mm -hmm. that we consciously know that that's something that was in existence and talk about the current state of pathways to activism in this country and how you can't just rely on one organization to do such a thing. What a terrible thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Tied into this question is how strong are social movements and is social movement organizing right now? And I don't know much about the United States, but it seems to me in the States that because a lot of those larger formal structures like the student movement never really existed in the same way that that is one of the reasons why there are so many other kinds of, of ways to engage people. And I've been I've mm-hmm. been thinking about this a lot. That's interesting. Well, because if, if you don't have this, like in Quebec, it's quite simple. Everybody goes to college and the colleges are your first interaction with the real world. Everything from, you know, what what classes are going to be like in university to autonomous student organizing. Like, the Ontario college system, and it's similar to outside of Ontario as well, the students in the system were always the more radical students, which is why the administrations did such a good job at crushing student dissent and student organizing, which is one of the reasons in Ontario why the Canadian Federation of Students didn't exist there. You know, Sandy and I were both very involved in um, in a college uh, organizing campaign where literally the students who were trying to join the Canadian Federation of Students where one was expelled, one was suspended. They had their assets seized. So removing a college system as a, as a location of, of, of training and of organizing and of struggle, I think is part of this. 
and then removing ourselves more broadly, it's like, okay, if I'm a young feminist, let's say, where do I... If. Yeah, like, okay, I wasn't. So (laughs) imagine I was like a 19-year-old feminist. Where would I go to do something? Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's really, like, you know, aside from, from service provision, which is really, really important... And like in the women's movement, that's all that it is left almost is is organizations doing like rape crisis intervention or or uh, working with people on an individual basis. And then you're just already stretched with your resources. You can't necessarily build anything beyond the work that you have to do, the frontline service work. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not doing frontline service work, you're a young feminist. And I just picked that as an example, because if you ask that question 30 or 40 years ago, there would be lots of different places that you could go to get involved and that's where you start to get trained or you meet the right people and today not only is the student movement not really doing that kind of work in the same way as it had been but there's no social movements that are doing this work really uh not anything that's national Mm -hmm. and this is really important because you know, as someone who uh, was trained through the student movement, to some extent, you know, some of my training came from elsewhere, but to some extent was trained through the student movement, the type of hard skills, soft skills, uh, principle, like issue-based training that you are able to make use of is really important. And beyond that, those types of skills are being taught to people on the other side of the political spectrum, partisan organizations are always going to make sure that they have a good infrastructure and a good base to draw from to make sure that that they are able to live out their politics beyond the people who are involved right now. We haven't done that in a conscious way. At least I don't I don't think it's in a conscious way. You know, maybe there are some discussions that need to happen with people who are uh, who'd been involved in the student movement you know, earlier than me. Uh, But uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was conscious that that was happening for activists. And we need to be conscious about uh, the way that that doesn't exist so that we can combat that. Because we're going to need to be prepared to be organized against um, an increasingly polarizing system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of ways that we can break this conversation down. And, th- and the first that I want to quickly talk about is, you know, you mentioned partisan politics. Is there a role for the NDP to play in this? And then I actually think that it's important for us to really drill into what exactly happens when you're being trained. Like, what, what are we even talking about? Because I, I think even that isn't very clear for a lot of people, especially young people who haven't had that interaction with a formal structure to figure out. And I say formal structure, like it could be a totally informal structure, but I mean something that you are able to get involved with and and find yourself. But I want to start first with the NDP. So if the if the right is doing this with their political projects, you know, is the NDP someplace that we should be looking for to provide this kind of thing? And I have an opinion on this. Uh, I don't know if you want to say your opinion on this. Well, I haven't thought about that, to be perfectly honest. Oh. <laughs> Just like you raising that is the first time I've, I've uh, really considered it. So I don't know if I have an opinion yet. Okay. Love to hear yours. But my opinion is that that, that responsibility lies uh, with, in a big way, unions in this country. But go ahead. You tell me what you think, and then I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Well, I I like the way that you're thinking, because I, I don't <laughs> well, think... thank you. <laughs> <laughs> This is such a fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I, you know, I, and maybe this is just my deep bias. Like I've, I've always been very skeptical of youth wings of political parties. Like I know they play a role and I'm involved with a political party that's got a very active youth wing or whatever. But I remember being in high school, I, I was tangoing more with um, the conservatives because that was the local, that was the only like really organized political grouping. Shame. And so I kind of, <laughs> I mean, tangoing, not like, not like to join them, but like oh, okay. to witness. You had me okay? really so, thinking who you were. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I am who I was when I was nine. Like I haven't changed at all. Um, oh, me too. I literally think I came into myself at, at like <laughs> ten years old. I had it all figured out, <laughs> and I thought that maybe at some point in the future I'd look back and be like, "Nah, I didn't." But I, I have it. Like I really think I had it figured out at ten, 10 years old. <laughs> anyway (laughs) me too me too so (laughs) we have such a weirdly similar past it's very interesting maybe we should talk about that one day on the podcast but it's it's really that'll be our that'll be our ask us anything podcast (laughs) (laughs) what was what was being eight like oh it was very difficult (laughs) (laughs) i was weird anyway i was (laughs) exactly Um, yeah, I know. So I'll, I'll I'll just tell you this one story. Uh, I, I found out that Stockwell Day was going to be in town and he was the leader of uh, whatever, the Reform Party. And I wanted to hear the talk because it was in the basement of a, Greece, a Greek restaurant where we would go all the time. But you need to have paid. It was like a fundraiser and I didn't know this. And so I showed up and they I'm were sorry, like, how old oh, are you, you at this point? I was 16. You're 15 16, or 16. You're like, I'm going to go see Stockwell Day talk. I fucking love it. Go on. <laughs> well, I had already seen uh, fucking... Uh, um. Oh my God, Preston Manning. I I met Preston Manning in the in a gas station parking lot, the gas station where we, where everyone used to buy smokes. I'm so sorry. And uh, yeah, he had a little rally, and it was because like the town I <laughs> I grew up in was pretty conservative, right? Mm-hmm, so this mm-hmm. was the, like th- these were the folks coming through town. Um, but I, I, as I said, I wasn't interested in the party. I just was like, you know, it's a bit of a proximity to power thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to see this guy Stockwell Day. And uh, I showed up in my, my high school uniform or whatever. And they're like, get out. You don't have $60 for your meal. And I'm like, I got five bucks. I'm going to go to Domino's Pizza and see what I can buy with that. And the guy's like, come back in after I'll sneak you in. And it was like very strange. And all I really remember for that night was how he, he, he shook my hand, how Stockwell Day shook my hand. And I felt like I, I grabbed a dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Anyway, stock. If you're listening, which you're not, I'm not. There's nothing else to say. Um, and so my so my interaction was was most with the young wings of those parties of the the liberals and the conservatives. And so I always thought those guys were freaking weird because they are weird. And um, and I carried that bias with me into university where I, well, let's I was talk very about skeptical that for, for two, two for two seconds. Like, why are they weird? Sure. Like, I, I have an opinion on this. I think we've probably talked about this before. I mean, the youth wings of parties like here's here's why we like here's why I don't like them. Uh, just before Nora explains why the NDP should. See, I don't. I, I can't believe we have had this conversation because I don't. I I didn't know you thought this, but I'm. Oh really? Okay, so then maybe we haven't. Here's <laughs> yeah. here's what I fucking think. Okay, about these youth wings. All right. <laughs> Your job should be to make your party better, okay? You organizing within your party should be to say, hey, we all have an interest. Let's fight for our interests within our parties. It shouldn't be to to be the mouthpiece of your party and sell your party to the youth. That's weird. That is a weird conception of what 
your job in your party should be. And it's it's super careerist, it's super opportunist. But that's what these, like the tiny Tories and the young liberals on campus, on campuses across this country, that's what they do. They try to sell mm-hmm. their party to the rest of the youth around them instead of saying, okay, this is what the youth around us need party we want you to do this it's like they have no power and don't care that they have no power because they're all so individualist thinking that they're like if i am the best at selling my party on campus then maybe one day i can too be an mp or mpp who is a backbencher slash useless in life <laughs> okay yeah. that's how i really feel guys that's it <laughs> and it, sorry what what's your thought on them i have a i have i have the same opinion but i have a totally different reason for having my opinion i i find these parties to be very bizarre because i don't trust anybody who has a partisan opinion at that age because the parties are not operating in your favor right it makes more sense to me that someone would be attracted to the NDP because the NDP is talking a little bit more about youth issues but this kind of goes back to the whole start of this conversation or the point of this conversation which is that you're as as a young person like it who especially if you're a young person interested in politics it's like don't dive into a political party like find a movement find mm-hmm. a place that you can get really excited about and learn about and 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 you know cut your teeth for me that was defeating a political party it was for defeating uh ernie eves of the mike harris years mm-hmm. and while that was you know you can argue that that was kind of partisan it never crossed my mind that I should do that through the NDP. Partly, I was at a campus where there really wasn't much of a political party presence. Like, there was, but it ebbed and flowed. It was certainly not like most campuses in Ontario at Ryerson. But I never understood that. It was like, why do you get involved to participate in, like, fucking provincial council or, like, convention? That seems so boring to me. You're you're 19, you're 18, you're 17. Like, you actually want to do something that is not just changing the political stripe of the day of a political party and and that's also why i think that it makes sense that the conservatives do that because the 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 youth wing is the radical wing right it is it is the wing of really freaky conservative thought like you know 17 year old young conservatives are a a, a specific beast <laughs> and um <laughs> And they they certainly do drive uh, positions. Now the you know you can look at the NDP and see the young NDP are the is the place that you're going to talk about free tuition before anywhere else in the party, or talk about a BDS position uh, before anywhere else in the party. So they play they play a similar role, but it's just like for the left, you've got to be rooted in social movements because otherwise, what is the fucking point? And What's if you're the young. Point? What are you going to run? Like, if you run at 17, that's something else. You know, obviously you can't run at 17. But running as a young person is, is I have a different opinion on that. But if you're just taking out a membership and getting involved with a political party, like, talk about bureaucratic, boring, fucking-ness. And so the NDP should not invest in in this, is your, your opinion? I mean, you know, if you're a location that can offer skills to people, sure. But I think that in this conversation where do we where do we want to focus you and I I think we should talk about the labor movement or other social movements and not necessarily a political party like the NDP especially because the NDP depending on where you are is like hardly the most radical thing that you can even get involved in anyway which is a whole other issue 
Mm-hmm. And I think I think that labor is so important in this conversation. And I really hope that maybe somewhere out there, someone's listening and is like, maybe this is something we can take on. Because labor has a lot of money. Labor has a lot of money. And labor has been, you know, previous to uh, our current age, focused on changing the social order, like changing the way that our institutions operate, changing the way that society is built. I feel like labor in in our contemporary times is not very focused on that right now. Um, I I don't think that we can keep pointing to the weekend as a victory when the weekend is being lost right now. Like I just I don't think that that's you know like the weekend is a is a such an excellent victory of the labor movement because the labor movement looked around and said we're going to change the social order. We're going to change the way that 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 uh, the entire system operates and we're going to we're going to create a weekend. We're going to create working hours. We're going to create minimum wage. We're going to create these things. It's wonderful. Those things aren't happening right now and I would love for the labor movement to like uh, to shift again back to a place where creating massive changes in the way that society works is one of their primary focuses and one of the ways that I think that they can do that is to invest some money in programs that will train people uh, that will support activists because here's the thing the worst that could happen if you invest millions of dollars into building infrastructure to do things like that is that it doesn't work and the worst that could happen if you don't do that is that it just won't happen (laughs) so it's like you're like the worst that can happen is status quo so why not try it like let's try it we have like the stakes are far too high to continue the way that we are right now like we've got creeping fascism coming back into the social system like we need to be ready for that and I just I for me I think that as super super powerful institutions and we know that they're so powerful because of the way that they get attacked every single time there's some conservatives in office I think that it it like would be the smartest thing that unions could do right now to invest in creating institutions that would train activists in the ways that you know we were able to be trained through the student movement. Well, one of the problems, though, is that there is actually a, a worst case that's not nothing. A worst case would be Go on. you give people at a young age when they're very idealistic and they're excited and they're eager a look at how labor operates. I mean, and so so much so that that's a worst case scenario that you should stop uh, reaching into the coffers of the millions of dollars you have set aside to, to create this institution. No, that's not good enough for me. No, I'm sorry. I disagree. Well, I'm. I'm I'm just trying to say I'm just trying to say that there's a worst case that's worse than nothing. Oh like, yeah. I, the 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 weird thing about labor is that they do this training all the time as part of their function. And so the extension of doing what they do all the time should be pretty easy. And um and you know you mentioned millions like you know you can run you can run this off of a pretty small budget too. Um I'm. I just think that you know we. It, it is worth being a bit aware as well of all the problems that does that does that does exist within the labor movement. But it's not an argument against what you're saying because I, I fully agree that um, that that's the only location where the money, the resources, the lo- the like physical space or locations are available to actually start doing some of this stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And the infrastructure already exists because right. so many labor unions uh, have like schools, like they they run a labor education programs. Some of them have the space to do that, or like they have actual buildings set up to run these types of programs. And uh, they're only in use for very limited types of programs, and it's not thinking about uh, the sustainability of a movement beyond our current moment. It's about, you know, Mm. providing training for stewards or providing training for staff reps or whatever it is. Yeah. Like we like let's think beyond the actual infrastructure of a union and actually think about the society in which a union is embedded. I think that that's like I just can't imagine a better way to make sure that this type of infrastructure exists. I could do some more research about what's going on in the States because there's there's so much. But the States is so different. The United States, like, there's just so much money everywhere down there. It's just, like, it's outrageous. And, and you're right. Like, you know, there is the United States Student Association, but they're not anywhere near the type of organization that the Canadian Federation of Students is. And maybe that has a an effect on, uh, you know, the the development on, of all of these other types of institutions that provide these pathways into becoming an activist. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by training? <sighs> it's like, that is such a convoluted question. Cause like, there's so many, like, there's like the official things, which is like, you know, the conferences that you go to where you like mm-hmm. you learn how to, I don't know, write a press release or something like that. But then there's the, the like, the the whole experience where like there's so much that's not official but you yeah. learn how to like talk to people yeah. <laughs> like, you learn you learn how to uh, create literature like what is appealing to people you learn how to uh, you know, depending on where you are in the student movement, talk to journalists. You learn how to be on television. You learn how to think about principles. You learn about history. You learn about how where you are in this world is connected to what sorts of politics. All of these things that you could maybe learn in a political science class, but it doesn't really teach you in the same visceral way as it does if you are learning it kind of on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, some of the stuff is like so minute, like learning uh, how to edit, like, I don't know, like editing <laughs> as an yeah. experience, to streeting as an experience, how to talk to people about an issue that they've never heard about before, probably don't care about, are too busy in their own lives to really give too much space for it and to make them understand that this is something that's really important. All of those things are things that I have either learned from scratch or improved through my own experience in the student movement and then have, you know, like I, I, I pretty early on realized, okay, this is a spot where I can learn how to do whatever the fuck I want. More importantly, in, wh- in what uh, campaign you want. I think that that's yeah. the other thing about the student movement. And this is why labor seems so well positioned is it's like literally think of an issue and you can run with mm-hmm. it. There are there are core issues that are technical and difficult to explain, but that touch everyone. And so on those things, I'm thinking of funding and tuition fees and all of those other issues that 
debt that you're that you're dealing with all the time and then you're like okay but I also care about like fucking bottled water or I also care about the blood ban for Canada blood services or I also care about like literally name anything else and um you know you then you fight for resources you get some resources you figure out how to run a campaign you find people who are like-minded to some extent and you start to build those relationships the the coalitions like it it is it is so hard to understate the importance of all of this and certainly my time at Ryerson was so formative because like I met people I would not have normally met I I I I worked alongside people in struggle and if you don't have that you can, you just don't learn it like at all like if you don't learn how to debate you don't learn how to figure out what a 10 second soundbite is to talk about x you just will never figure out how to do it unless you're like you know then you're 40 years old and all of a sudden you're in a community campaign to save your local pool or something and you're and you're going through all this stuff for the first time so paths to doing this are so critical but um and this is why I asked you what you meant by training because often it's not actually the training it's the campaign yeah well it's the campaign and everything is surrounding the like the campaign exactly. that exist right because it's like like I was saying like I I learned really quickly I can't remember exactly when I figured it out but very soon into my experience as a student movement activist I was like oh I can really learn use this to learn how to do whatever I want. And so I planned events that I would want to know how to, to plan later in life. Like literally was like, mm -hmm. can I get Angela Davis to speak at my school and learn how to do that later in life if I wanted to get someone to speak somewhere else? Like learned how to create a, a campaign schedule that is so convoluted and <laughs> like complex mm. that you could I don't know potentially win the uh, promise to end carding in 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 the province of Ontario like those skills came came from trial and error as a student figuring it out everything that I learned in the student movement I was already thinking to myself at some point I'm gonna leave this place and I'm going to keep being an activist. Uh, and one of the things I'm most passionate about is anti-black racism. And I'm going to use everything that I've learned here to make a big splash on that on that front. And uh, like literally that has happened. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, there's all sorts of critiques of the student movement. And I, you know, like people who might be listening to this and rolling their eyes being like, I hate the CFS. I will tell you right now that you have no more critiques than me and Nora. Like Nora, like there is nobody who has more critiques of the student movement than people who are in the student movement. Trust me. But that doesn't negate the fact that it is so, so valuable a place to be able to develop hard skills, soft skills, just you know networks networks all sorts of things to to sharpen an activist and we need more of that we cannot focus on something that is so fraught for that anyway i'm also interested in what you think training means because i you know when i said this i, I know i think you were interested in it like what what was the training experience like for you it's it's literally it's exactly what you described it, it's it was being like throwing up hungover because it was frosh week or whatever and then stumbling into various campaigns and then going one campaign to the next campaign to figure out oh this is my world and as you say I can literally do whatever I want 
and it, it actually not all of the skills that you described I, I fully had the same experience and and I also know you had these experiences too but it, it's like legal experience <laughs> staring down power dude <laughs> like, my ability to <laughs> to navigate legal systems is like fucking unparalleled for somebody my age it makes no sense i know how to negotiate a building contract like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> oh well not just now like like we i did that too right we 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 sued and fought legally for ownership of a of a you know, $12 million building in downtown Toronto, like sued the university of Toronto for increasing tuition fees, 66% for some students. Like that is something that we did. We learned how to figure out how to navigate legal systems, the civil system in such a like visceral way. Like obviously I was also sued. You were sued. <laughs> like we had uh, a yeah. human rights experience. Like it was, it's, you know, and all of those things allows me to, you know, like, you know, was like awful experiences, but also, you know, now I'm working on setting up a black legal action center, a legal aid clinic, because I know so many things <laughs> about the legal exactly. system that I wouldn't have known before. Well, and it makes you fearless to an extent. So now, that's not everyone's fearless. experience. Yes. No, absolutely <laughs> not everyone's experience, but I'm basically immune to everything now. <laughs> When you get to stare down power, um, or when you, when the when the when the cloth kind of just disappears, when you when you realize that all of these politicians are literally like not that smart, and you're like, oh right, you're really not that smart. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really does help to get rid of any illusions of merit or respect for power. <laughs> Yeah, that was that that's that is a big skill. Like we, you know, it's there, it's like one of the things that was uh, so uh, very critiqued about uh, the student movement is the fact that it lobbies. But I like if you think about it from the frame of this is people training people. Like this is an organization that which it was people, actually which is, no one should think no one should think lobbying was anything else. And that's a critique yeah. I have of, of <laughs> yeah. many people. Oh my god! So often I just wanted to say that, and I don't know why I didn't. Anyway. You know, you would walk into a lobby meeting with a, with an MP or an MPP who, you know, didn't know the difference between their hand and their foot. Like it was just who Literally. had no idea <laughs> about the things that they were saying. Like I, I've, I've had an MP say to my face that indigenous people have different types of brains than other people and we shouldn't help them and being shocked but also being fully aware all of a sudden of the fact that the people who run this country <laughs> like yeah like we give them a certain type of legitimacy that they do not uh, deserve and no. maybe you knew that theoretically no. or like philosophically beforehand but it's like so ridiculous so it's so ridiculous like I mean I know that many of you out there who are listening probably every time you hear Justin Trudeau speak you're like man that guy seems kind of weird but he must maybe he must have some sort of uh like credentials because he's the prime minister I'm here to tell you nah Nah. he don't like everybody who's up there like did you ever did you ever lobby very few did you ever lobby Trudeau uh no I didn't lobby Trudeau but I did I did I did lobby Ignatieff and, uh, 
Oh, I don't even know if I should tell this story, but it was very funny. <laughs> it was it was very funny. It was very awful. Um, and he almost got kicked in the head by somebody else in that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have lobbied Trudeau and that dude spent the whole time talking to us about how hard he worked to get to where he was today. Which is not at all, right? Like, is that what he said? He was like, "What? How hard I worked was not at all." Is that what he said? No, it was no, no, no. He's like, "I worked really hard to, to be able to pay for my education," and I was like, "Like, no, dude, you didn't, dude. My my dad was a librarian. Like, your dad was the fucking prime minister. Like, it was, it was, it was like Twilight Zone. Like, he was totally telling his truth, and his truth was fucking." bizarre world it was not real but that's well a lot of things about him is bizarre oh yeah totally like <laughs> if you told me back then that he'd be the prime minister someday i'd be like oh yeah okay that will be a fucking <laughs> bizarre time but we we would have we would have debriefs at the end of our lobby meetings and every racialized student around the table would have had a racist incident happen every single day mm-hmm. every single day mm-hmm. like Every single time. Outward. And outward. Like, I'm not talking about, like, you know, systemic racism or whatever, but, like, outward fucking racist stuff. One one person, I remember, uh, getting his tag, and uh, the, the security put that he was custodial services. It was like, uh, oh. Wow. I, I see. Right? Or, or lobbying uh, Jack Layton. And we had to go to uh, um, Peter Milliken's office. Millic- Peter Milliken? Uh, Milliken's office. He was a speaker, a liberal. And we were not allowed to go office to office because we were with someone who was black. And that was explicitly told to us. What? And, yeah. And uh, and actually, no, sorry, it was Milliken to, to Layton's office. So Milliken was like, no, no, this is, this is, this is bullshit. And I'm, I'm going to walk you myself over to his office. And he did. And it was like, right, right. That's where we are right now. We are in center block at Parliament Hill. And this is this place is fucked. Yeah. When we, when we, I'm actually going to tell the Ignatiev story that, like, this is the level of, like, <laughs> yes you know, political bullshit that was happening. It Like, the we walk in there, we're like, okay, so, you know, like, the, and this is the training that we're getting. Like, here's Michael Ignati, if everyone thinks that he's, like, this, uh, you know, amazing academic guy, blah, 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 whatever. And our ask, you know, we're, we're going in there, we're like, look, we need to, d- to um, set aside specific money for uh, the post-secondary student support program, which is a specific pot of money for indigenous students to attain uh, access to education, to pay for indigenous access to education. And his response to us that like left so many of us like speechless because it was just like, what? His response was, these indigenous communities, you know that when we give them money, they don't spend it on what they're supposed to, right? Like if I set aside this money and deliver it to First Nations communities. Do you know that many of them will take this money for education for their youth and spend it on cleaning water? Doesn't that make you frustrated? And we were all like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, like, uh, yes, if people need clean water and they're prioritizing that over fucking education, we're down. What do you mean? What the fuck kind of question is that? And this, like, he he was being serious. Like, he would, like, that is, that is your government's fucking problem. That is your issue that you've created. What are you, how are you asking us something like this? 
as a real fucking question. The meeting had to end shortly after that because it wasn't going well, <laughs> as you can imagine. But, uh, you know, like that that's the type of thing, like to, in my mind, you know, fully as a young activist, disabused any, any thought that may have been in there that he was, uh, you know, some sort of uh, capable thinker. Because clearly you're not. If you, if you, <laughs> if that's a real debate going on in your mind, you are not the the great thinker that people have made you out to be anyway like and and that type of experience um is a useful experience uh in in training a young activist who may have to interact with politicians later on well i got an email this week from someone who we both know saying that she has been using all of the skills that she got when she was in the student movement to uh, fight her local city council because they voted to defund the local library. Um, now, it's, this is not Canada. Oh <laughs> I'll mention that. This is, it's a different country. And, and she was like, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, I'm using all of those skills to lead a parent's kind of fight back to save the library because the, the city council's just not funding it anymore. And she and she went through like really intense uh, uh, campaigns as well, both locally and provincially. If the point of this podcast is to talk about if this episode is to talk about how important this is, like, you know, I, we can't understate that. The, the question in my mind is like the student movement's a really important location for this because a lot of people go uh, into university or into college and have access to these resources or whatever. Um, and that's a structure that still exists. And so, you know, the, the organizations ebb and flow and things get stronger and things get weaker and hopefully, you know, things will get stronger. But outside of the student world, we have we don't have anything. And this is exactly right, that labor needs to be thinking about, like, just just hire three organizers to work on a campaign or something this isn't hard. But even beyond that, like, let's go beyond that. You know, what would be great is if unions had maybe some sort of fellowship program where if they, uh, you know, like, I don't know, they see a grassroots organization like BLM or something like that, or I don't know more or whatever. And they say, you know, apply for this fellowship or we'll just give you a fellowship. So you don't have to worry about making ends meet and you can just do your activism and we will pay you. We'll just pay you to do your activism. And they do that for all sorts of different organizations. Right. Do you know, like, the, the, the type of shift that that would create in our system, in our society? If there was some sort of fellowship program where it was, like, literally, yeah, you come be a fellow for a year, you work with a bunch of uh, other people on a campaign, maybe it's for two years, I don't know, on uh, one or two campaigns, and you get the experience of what that feels like, that would massively, mm -hmm. massively shift the ability for people to enter what is a really terrifying space, actually, for a lot of people who, who I can tell you as someone who has interacted with many people who have, who have entered activism, not through the type of rigorous training that the, that the, uh, the student movement provides, it's, it's hard, like, it's, it's really jarring. It's like, whoa, wasn't mm -hmm. expecting this, that, or that. And the types of things that you have to think of from, from even the, like the idea that you have to be a perfect person, which is awful. And you, sh 
you know, hopefully we can change society so you don't have to be that and go through your Facebook and like mm-hmm. curate your social media so that you're like, you know, not attacked later on from conservative forces in the media. These are things that, you know, maybe if you don't go through that type of rigorous training, you don't think about as an activist, you know, like it's, it's like so much weird, bizarre stuff that you would never think about unless it was like really thought of as like, here, we have to train people to be able to do this. Yeah. And there's also an exchange part of this though, too, that it's not just about training someone, but in the case of the labor movement, having free thinking young activists get involved in this way would actually be tremendously important on both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if we're talking about how to deal with something on social media, because a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I don't get it for a whole bunch of really legitimate reasons. And so that that intergenerational exchange, that it's not one directional and and that in the in the student movement, like you don't have a ton of intergenerational exchange. There's, you know, sometimes different student generations. So you've got people who are a little bit older than you. But the exchange that you have with other people is is also a huge part of this. Um, but we lack intergenerational exchange and discussion on the left and to the point where I think that there's actually a lot of suspicion about young people. Uh, Certainly I've been in spaces where I've like made suggestions like, Oh, we can get so-and-so involved or maybe we should find. And it's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. People just don't think that you know what you're talking about. You're too young. Well, exactly. And it's like, and I'm still often the youngest person in many spaces. And it's like, yo, I'm 33. Like this, there's a lot of people who are younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And it's people who don't necessarily have that outlet. You know, there are things that do exist. I think um, the, the one proof of how important this is, is Next Up which is a a training program that's mostly based in Western Canada. So like Vancouver and Edmonton Mm -hmm. and Regina, Saskatoon, and then Ottawa. And this was a place where we're exactly what we're talking about. This was the, like you went through this program and then you graduated like quote unquote. And a lot of really important activists went through next up. And so there are templates out there. There are models out there. There's the workers action center, which is another way that you can get involved if you're, if you're lucky enough to be around those folks, but that doesn't exist in other Mm -hmm. uh, cities really other than Toronto. The workers action center is, is, is a rare kind of gem in the labor movement in Canada. Uh, I know that there's folks working like in Halifax trying to set something up, but labor like you unfortunately are the folks that that do have the money and I know money's tight in labor too but it's like labor austerity is like not like BLM austerity (laughs) yeah yeah nope (laughs) (laughs) not at all so yeah so we've got to find ways to do this and we've got ideas and if you're a young person who's made it this far in the podcast let us know what you think, actually, because I would be very interested to hear someone tell me that I, I'm wrong or something. Like, maybe there is all this training. We just don't know about it. Um, mm-hmm. Would also love to hear if there's other programs out there that uh, we didn't talk about. And if there are uh, and we know about them, really sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like one one final note on the Canadian Federation of Students. Like this is for a now. Model, like if we if you. If you, for now, for now, uh, this is a model of training activists that was doomed to fail. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, for many reasons that maybe we'll discuss in later podcasts. But one of the reasons is that, you know, like the, the liberals and conservative, like the partisan, poli- like the, the, the haters out there had caught on to it 
and and knew what it was doing uh in in a way before like people who were in it knew what it was doing and focused on and continue to focus today on tearing it down and it, like so much of the youth wings focus of of these parties mm-hmm. is focused on destroying progressive students unions which is like a sign of how important it is and uh, so so that's one thing like you know uh, there's always these yeah. these criti- like uh, comparisons between English Canada and Quebec and it was something that I thought that people didn't really understand was just how much the partisan elements were focused on destroying it creating weird versions of it like the Ontario Undergraduate Students Alliance and the uh, the uh, Canadian Alliance of Student Associations which were partisan organizations whose only point of existing was to try to destroy this organization that was training all of these students to take on their parties. That's one reason why it was doomed to fail, because we didn't have any, like, there wasn't anything outside of the student movement that was trying to protect against that kind of thing. There was nothing Mm -hmm. there. The other reason is that because of all of that, you've got, like, kind of, like, equal players who are fighting each other and so it doesn't really result like the uh, the ability to create policy change is hard it's a lot harder than it would be if these partisan elements who have these resources and machines behind them weren't fighting them so much so you don't see a massive win like a freeze in tuition fees or a reduction in tuition fees or something like that Mm -hmm. very often you have to have the right political context constellation yeah constellation uh, and so what happens? Tuition fees increase. It becomes harder and harder to, 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 to be a student. You have less and less time if you're a poor student who's maybe naturally attuned to some of the very issues that we work on. You have less and less time. Maybe you're working two, three jobs uh, to make ends meet. Um, the people who are able to have time in post-secondary become the, the wealthiest. And... Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, as time goes on, it becomes less and less of the type of space that will will be able to foster the types of activists that it has in the past uh, because of direct confrontation and the the context by which students are coming into uh, interaction with student organizations. And so you can't rely on one organization like that in other countries. They can. And in other countries, they do. Like all over the world, uh, people rely on student organizations to provide the type of training that is required uh, to become the type of activist that can uh, really present an important challenge to the system. There's a long history of this. In this in Mm -hmm. this country, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to only rely on student organizations because of where we're at in our history. And we are. Uh, it do a massive disservice um, to ourselves and our communities if we don't take that in consciously and decide to do something different. I thought tuition was free. Shut up. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) 